Hey, hey, good morning, you guys. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing amazing. I hope uh, things are going well for you as this weather warms up and we can uh, just be outside and uh, not have to wear our masks and be free uh, in that way. I hope things are going well. Uh, a lot going on uh, here at this church. Uh, it was good to get away for uh, a week or so. Got together with my uh, Motley Crew brothers. And uh, what a crew they are. I uh, had a lot of fun out in the Fort Myers, catching lots of fish and having a great time and getting to be with my family, my bros, uh, for, you know, a week. So it's been good to get away and do that and be refreshed a little bit and uh, just to get your mind off of the regular routine. It's uh, something we should do on a regular basis, but... Had a great time. Not sure what this is right here going on on his head, but um, coaching uh, the turn time baseball team again this season and um, got a great group of kids. Love working with them. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this group of kids, as you can see. It's a, it's uh, coaching is for me, it's a great opportunity to uh, uh, be together with the community, to get to know people, to get to rub shoulders with uh, people outside the church in the community and also to be able to influence and to mentor and to try to set a good godly example for some young men who are growing in middle school, trying to figure out what, what's going on in the world and in their lives and where they're going and where they're headed and what they like and what they don't like and so much going on in their lives at this age. Uh, I'm so thankful to God to be able to be a part of helping them move through these years and then watch them go on into high school and uh, see them go on to do good things. So that's been a lot of fun. Today at Burlington Christian Church is Baby Dedication Day, so we'll be dedicating a few babies that uh, have recently been born, and we're excited about doing that as well. Uh, our God of wonders. This is where we've been for a number of weeks. We are done with it as of last week, but there is so much that we could talk about when it comes to our God of wonders and who he is and what he does and how he created everything. Just endless, endless topics that we could talk about, about our God that wows us, that is a great God, that is a creative God, full of authority and power and yet gentle and loving and caring and sent his only son Jesus to die for you and for me. I mean, we have a God of wonders and he continues to do wonders. If we'll open our eyes, we'll see the wonders of God around us. And I am uh, excited to keep thinking about our God of wonders. Well, we're gonna move on and today, this new series, uh, I wanna, I wanna encourage you to hang on through and buckle up. That's the name of our series is going to be Buckle Up uh, because we're going to look at some things in the scripture that are going to cause us to buckle up. In 1964, uh, a Buckle Up song came out and it kind of stuck. Um, maybe you'll recall the song. Uh, it went like this. There's a TV commercial encouraging people to wear their seatbelts. And it said, buckle up for safety, buckle up, buckle up for safety. 
always buckle up. If you're old enough, you probably remember that song, that little tune. And it was a push, a push to keep people safe right on the road. It was a pu uh, push to reduce injuries and car accidents to keep you alive, really. It was a push to keep people alive if they're ever in a car wreck. In the 80s, a mandatory seatbelt rules became big. And um, crash dummies became like a cultural icons for people. Like we, we'd see them, you know, being used in car crashes as they tested how the body reacts and how the car reacts to um, accidents, getting hit by the side or the front or the back. And crash dummies became uh, the guinea pigs of, of how bodies respond in the midst of a crash. And, and then came um, that, that little uh, tune or a campaign, uh, Click It or Ticket. Remember that came out and, and uh, you saw it on billboards, you saw it everywhere, Click It or Ticket, and you still kind of see that today. And we realized that going 80 miles an hour in a vehicle was dangerous and, and that seat belts saved lives. In 2020, an estimated 42 thousand Americans were killed on roadways in this country and typical stats say that approximately half of those half of those almost half of those did not click it were not wearing their seatbelts and and many of them could have been spared from death if they had buckled up our family personally has lost a sister and numerous relatives from car accidents. And I'm sure those of you who are tuning in or listening in today, you probably know somebody who was killed in a car accident in the past. It's a, it's a crazy thing. When it comes to trucks and planes and race cars, buckle up for safety, always buckle up. It's an important principle for life but it's also an important principle for spiritual matters. When it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to like the red letters, the things that Jesus said, we should always be ready to buckle up. Things that Jesus said, we should be ready to buckle up. And, and today, this new series about buckling up, I, I wanna focus on uh, the truly, truly, I say to you statements that Jesus made. Many times in the scripture, we see Jesus saying, over 70 times, we see Jesus saying things like, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly. Some translations say, verily, verily. Some say, I assure you, or I, I promise you, or I tell you the truth. All of those mean the same thing. It basically means Jesus is saying, Truly, truly, I say to you. And when Jesus is going to say truly, truly, he's going to share with us, them first and then us, something important, something that we need to really pay attention to. The word in Greek is the word mean, or we get the word amen from that word. And usually we hear people say amen at the end of a prayer. They pray their prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, right? Or sometimes you might hear people say, 
amen in agreement. Like somebody says something and you agree with it and you go amen. Amen, like I'm in agreement. I'm with you on that, right? We show agreement. The Old Testament word, amen or amen, literally means, and you've heard this, so be it. Or let it be so. Somebody makes a prayer, you agree, so be it. Let it stand, let it be firm. As in, may it be done, or, or I agree completely with what you're saying, amen, amen, right? It's important. Jesus, Jesus liked to use his amen at the beginning of a statement or a beginning of a teaching. And um, he, he said amen to lead into an important truth that he was about to say to his disciples or to those who were listening on. And he wasn't just saying like amen or, or believe me or this is true or so be it. But when Jesus says amen or when he said truly, truly, he's saying, I know this truth that I'm about to share with you. I know this to be true. I know this firsthand. And see, Jesus can say that because Jesus is the author of all scripture. He is the author of life. He is the author of all that we know to be. He is the one that all things were made and all things hold together. And so Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples on the earth, he already knows the truths from eternity that he is going to share with them. And so he's the originator of the truth. And so when Jesus says, amen, he's not just agreeing with somebody or something or his own statement. He's saying, this is the truth. This is straight from heaven. In essence, Jesus is saying, when he says truly, truly, he's really saying, buckle up. You better buckle up because what I'm about to tell you is straight from heaven. This is not just man's opinion. This is just not some fancy uh, way to, um, to, to word something. This is the word from heaven being spoken to people through the Son of God. When the disciples heard Jesus say, truly, truly, they would have understood very clearly that something big was about to come out of his mouth. He was about to teach them something big and they knew that they better buckle up because they definitely did not want to miss the truth that Jesus was about to share. And since we're uh, dedicating our, our babies today and we're thinking about babies and maybe you've had a baby recently, I know some of you had and that is so amazing and awesome. And some of you are going to have a baby and that's cool too. But we've had, we've had some babies in our church over the last year or two, and uh, we're gonna dedicate those. But in honor of them, I wanna, I wanna share our truly, truly statement on Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, because it fits the baby thing, uh, uh, but it's also a truth that Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. So in Matthew chapter 18, uh, we're gonna look at just verses one to five. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up, and we're gonna look at those verses. But Jesus says this in verse one, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest 
in the kingdom of heaven. So let's just take this a little bit at a time. At that time, look at this, at that time to stop right there. What, 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 what time is that? You're thinking about, okay, the life of Jesus. He's baptized, he's crucified. About three years of time goes by between his beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry, three years. So this is somewhere at near the front half of Jesus's ministry. He's in Galilee and he's been teaching about a few different things. He, he's been preparing them. If you back up a little bit in, uh, in Matthew 17, you'll see that he's preparing the disciples that he's going to be uh, handed over, that he's going to be um, uh, persecuted and that, that he's going to be betrayed. Then he talks with them, and, and remember the harmony of the gospel. It's the exact order that things happen. So Matthew 17 and Matthew 18 lead into each other in the harmony of the gospel. Sometimes you'll read Matthew, like a chapter out of Matthew, and then the next chapter actually didn't happen for uh, like a month later or two months later. And there's other passages from Mark, Luke, and John that kind of gets inserted in there in the harmony of the gospels. But this flow is, is correct. So we got him tell, talking about himself being betrayed to the disciples. He, uh, he is talking to them a little bit at the end of Matthew 17 about uh, paying taxes. And he tells them to go out to the lake and throw a line in the, wa in the water. And this time it's not a net, it's a line. So they must have fished also with hooks. He says, throw a line in the water, and when you catch a fish, bring it in, open its mouth, and you will find a coin in that fish's mouth. Can you imagine going out there, catching a fish? We just went fishing, opening the fish's mouth. There's a commercial, like the guy, the, the guys, the girls reeling in the fish on the back of the boat, and it's a goldfish, and all this gold fall. Well, that's, that's kind of what Jesus does here. There's a coin in this, this fish's mouth, and he says, go Go pay your taxes with this. Use this to pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. And so the disciples at that time, at that time, the disciples, they come to Jesus and, and they have this big, big question for Jesus, right? They come to him and they say to Jesus, Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is a very interesting question. I, I'm not sure that it's a good question. I, I really don't think it is. The more you think about the question, it seems very presumptuous, almost self-seeking, like kind of like uh, you know school kids. You know, when you're picking teams and that one kid knows, oh, I'm going to get picked first. He's going to pick me because I'm the best out of all these kids. You know, and it's kind of that haughtiness, that proudful arrogance that we have. And, and it's an interesting question, but I don't think it's a very good one. The fact is, the disciples have had debates about this very topic before, desiring to know, in Jesus's opinion, who's the top dog, who's the big dog among us, among the 12. 
Like Jesus, because they had in mind he was going to come in his kingdom and take over. Who is going to be like on your right and your left in, in your power? Yeah, so that's what they've got in their minds. In Luke chapter 9, there's a parallel passage to the Matthew 18 passage. And the scripture in, in Luke 9 says, when you combine them as a harmony does, what you see there is Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. They asked the question, but he knew ahead of time what they are thinking. Do you know when teachers say to you, there are no dumb questions? You know, you, you may have even said, hey, there's, there's no dumb questions. Whatever, any question is a good question. Well, I, I'm not so sure that that's totally true all the time. And I, and I really think that this is one of the exceptions to the rule. That every question is not a good question. Some are kind of foolish or dumb. And I could see them, I could see them asking like, like maybe a question like, like how can we get to heaven or who can get to heaven? And, and in fact, they, they did ask Jesus that question. Like who can be saved, they said. And uh, Jesus, remember that at that time, he said something about it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they said, well, then who can be saved? But there it is, right? There's the question. The cat is like out of the bag. They have, they've let it spit out of their mouth. They've probably been thinking about it and they're arguing about it among themselves. And now one of them got enough courage to say it out loud to Jesus. There it is. And this is where the disciples are. You know, Jesus hears this question. He's like, oh, man. They're, they're wondering about who the greatest is. And Jesus just got done telling them he's about to be betrayed. He's, he's headed to a cross. He's going to die for the sins of all mankind. He's been talking to them about, you know, servanthood, sacrifice, humility. And here they are wondering which of us is the greatest who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's got to be one of us 12. We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And so Jesus does what, like every good teacher does, he blasts them. You bunch of nincompoops. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Okay, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. They make a bonehead play, but he doesn't beat on them. He doesn't do that. What he does, though, in verse 2, is he calls a little child to himself and he placed the child among them. They asked Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And instead of answering their question, Jesus says, Jesus looks around and uh, he brings a little child into their midst. And already, you know, you can only imagine what the disciples are thinking at this moment already. Uh, you know, you, the wheels are turning. Oh, no. Did we ask, like, a dumb question? Did we say the wrong thing? You know, we're all arguing about this. We totally forgot how stupid this question was that we asked Jesus. And now it's too late. We've asked it. And now he's brought this little child into their midst. A little bitty child. Not an infant, but a child. And Jesus, you know often use children to highlight a truth, to teach adults 
something very important that they needed to never forget, something very important that they need to get in their mind and maintain in their attitudes. One time Jesus placed, uh, he placed his hands on the children and he blessed them. In verse six of this passage, he's going to warn them about causing one of them to stumble. And he says something about it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and you thrown into the sea than you cause one of these little ones to stumble. Verse 10, he says, don't despise one of these little ones because their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. And so here, Jesus says, little Bobby, little Bobby, come here, little Bobby. I don't know what the little boy's name was, but he calls him over. And, and would you come here, please? And, and it's definitely not an infant. It's a child because he called him and he came walking over. Mark, Mark says, Jesus, the, uh, Matthew, and, uh, Matthew said that he put them in, his, in their midst. Mark indicates that Jesus took the, the boy in his arms, like he bent down and picked him up, and he's got him in his arms now. And you know the disciples are all going, oh man, we, I think we blew it, guys. I think we, I think we stepped in something here. In verse 3, Jesus says, truly I tell you, so there's our words, truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Man, they are so in trouble, aren't they? I mean... They're, they're, they're in trouble. They, they've just kind of been called out. Jesus is, is, didn't even answer the question. He's just going to be like, I really can't believe you asked that question, but here's how I'm going to answer it. He brings in this child, and then he says these words to them, and they're thinking, man, we, we blew this. And this little child, now that Jesus brought into their midst, he's about to show them up. He's going to show all of them up. They just want to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is like, really? Like, that's your concern? Like, haven't you listened to anything that I've said? Well, you better, you better buckle up. You better buckle up. And Jesus says, you want greatness? You want greatness? I will tell you what greatness is in the kingdom of heaven. Because it's not the same as greatness in the world in which you live. In fact, it's very opposite. It's very opposite. The things that the world says you should run after, chase after, and if you get them, you are the popular, you are among the rich, you are among the elite, you are among the greatest. Jesus says that's not greatness in the kingdom whatsoever. In fact, the more you chase that stuff, the harder it will be for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he's going to give them a few things to chew on about 
true greatness. Jesus says, you want greatness? He says, the first thing he says in those verses is this, you need to change. If you want greatness, you need to be childlike. Not act like children or immature little babies, not that. But you need to have a heart and an attitude and an approach to life like a child does. You need to change. The word means to be converted. You need to be converted into a child of God. You need to stop thinking like a child of the world and start thinking and living like a child of God. You need to turn from self-seeking ambition and repent. That's what the word repent means. It means to turn. It means to go in the opposite direction that you're moving right now. And we repent all the time. At first, we repented to accept Jesus as Lord. We knew our life was going in the wrong direction. And we said, God, we need you in our life. And I need to change my life. God, help me to change. And we stopped thinking the way we want to think and the way the world thinks. And we said, God, I'm going to think the way you think. And I'm going to live my life according to your scripture, according to your word. We repented of our lifestyle. Now, all through life, we're going to repent of little things. We, we realize we have a bad attitude about something, or we do something, we have a habit, or we, do, we have uh, like behaviors that we're doing and we've always done, and we've, we've just accepted them and justified them and made excuses why we do them. And then we realize one day, whoa, God does not really want me doing this. This is not benefiting my life in Christ. In fact, it's hurting it. It's pulling me in the wrong direction. It's causing me more grief than it's worth. And, and, and at that moment, we repent. We say, I'm not doing that no more. I'm not going to talk that way. I'm not going to do those things. I'm going to stop being like that. And we repent. So that's a lifelong process of repenting from little things. In our life. And Jesus says, you want greatness, you need to change. Your life needs to change and it needs to keep on changing. You need to take on this childlike innocence, right? See, their mind is in the wrong place and it's on the wrong thing. They want to become great, like worldly standard greatness. We want to conquer we want others to look up to us. And Jesus is like, your mind's in the wrong place. Your heart is in the wrong place. And you are looking at the wrong thing. And then he says these very powerful words. He says to them, you, if you don't change, you will never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Look what he says. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a powerful truth. This is a forceful statement of Jesus. This is not a joke. This is the truth. If you don't change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you buckled up yet? Are you listening to what Jesus is saying? I hope they were listening to what Jesus was saying. Secondly, in verse 4, Jesus says, You want greatness? Take the lowly position and you will be great. You try to exalt yourself and you will be brought down. He who humbles himself will be exalted and he who exalts himself 
will be humbled. That is a kingdom truth that we need to take to heart. See, in their adult mind, and that's what most of us have now, is this adult mind, right? This adult, more mature, very sophisticated, we're educated, we got all the brains, right? And in our adult mind, greatness is attained through power and popularity and authority. See, pride, pride is our natural default, personal edification. Got to get some for myself. Got to watch out for myself. Nobody else is going to do it. I got to have my own back, right? It's all about me, 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 me. I'm going to live my story. Me, me, me. That's what the world keeps shoving down our throats. Me, 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 me. But the kingdom of God is completely opposite of earthly greatness. Jesus is saying to them, like, you're seeking greatness through self-exaltation, but you should be seeking humility and surrender. That's who's great in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the way to life is to die. In the kingdom of God, the way to riches is to give it away. In the kingdom of God, the way to greatness is found in humility. Taking the low position of this child. This little child that is standing in their midst, innocent, pure, somewhat oblivious, right? You take the position of this child. What comes naturally for a child comes with discipline for you and for me as adults. Children don't think about these things. They just live. Adults, we have an agenda. Everything has to fit into our agenda. Jesus said it like this. He who wants to become great must become the servant of all. You want to become great? Humble yourself to the position of a foot washer. Number three. Last thing is this. Jesus says, you want greatness? Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes this little child. There he is. He's standing in their midst. Or she. And Jesus is going to use this child as an as a object lesson for these adult men. Guys, you want to be great? That's what's on your mind? Become like this little person right here. Look at your little children. Look at your grandchildren. Look how innocent they are. Yeah, they, they're, they're, they're a little bit deceptive. You know, they're, they're conniving. They try to play the game. You know, they, they learn very young at a young age how to manipulate, right? Mom doesn't give it to me. I go ask dad or, or you know, they know how to do these things. It's, almost, it's a very natural thing to try to be somewhat conniving. You can see it in children. They try to push boundaries. They try to get what they want. They're, they're selfish in that way. But they're, all, they're also very open, right? When Jesus brings this child and he demonstrates with the child right there before them the art of welcoming. Like with this child right in front of them. This is an, an accepting and a welcoming act that Jesus does. He's welcoming this child in their midst right now. Like he's welcomed them. He didn't say, Put the children away. They shouldn't be, 
They should be seen, not heard. He, he doesn't do that. He brings the child into their midst, and in doing so, he's showing them. We, we should welcome people, welcome others, like, we, like I'm welcoming this child right here before you. See, it's really about our treatment toward others, not just children. And it has to do with this tender affection, helping, serving, giving, loving, meeting the needs of others, caring for people, and especially little people, like Jesus does. Not treating people like children, but with a childlike attitude or spirit. We are to have the childlike spirit. We don't teach, treat them like little children. We're talking about adults. And that's pure. That's We treat them with this childlike spirit of purity and innocence and non-judgmental, sincere, open. You know, like that child, you've, you've, you've probably all seen this more than once, that little child that just, you're at, the, at a park, you're, you're at a restaurant, and there's a little child that's just, is friends with everybody. They, she doesn't know anyone, but she's like, or he's like, comes up to you and talks to you, and they're, they're your friend, and they like, they, there's no hindrance there. Like they're instantly your friend. There's no thought of defense. There's no thought of fear. There's no prejudice, what you look like. They just talk to anybody and everybody like a little child. That's what Jesus is saying to them. You welcome others like you would welcome this child or like this child would be open to anyone. See, greatness is in welcoming people. And the last thing Jesus says is, in my name. Notice he says this. Let me back up. He says, verse 5, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, Jesus says. Welcomes me. Jesus is talking about a couple things here. One, he's talking about that you and I are living our lives in such a way that our perspective and our mindset is from above. That we are being like God, like Jesus, the mindset of Christ, as we treat the people of this world. In my name. That we welcome them in the name of Jesus. That we are representing Jesus when we welcome people. Like we have our, our minds set and our hearts set on things above. And that what we do comes from a place of heaven, not of earth. That we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representing him in a way that we live in the way that we treat people. See, true greatness. True greatness is being like Jesus. Pure and innocent. Caring and loving, sacrificial, just like Christ just like a child. A true follower is like Jesus. And secondly, what he's talking about when he says, you know, in my name, he's talking about that we treat people the same way that we would treat Jesus. Like when we look at the world, that we would treat others like we would treat Jesus if, if he were walking in their shoes. That we, we welcome them 
in the name of Jesus as if they are Jesus. We know they're not Jesus, but as if they are Jesus. That, that, that the way we love our neighbor is the way we love our Lord. And, and that what we, we do, what we do, we do knowing that it's for God that we do it. We do all things for his name's sake. In Matthew chapter 25, there's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Remember that? And Jesus, you know, on the day of judgment, is going to take the sheep in his right hand and the goats in his left. And he's going to say, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was thirsty. You, you gave me something to drink. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison. You visited me. Right? And they're going to say, when do we see you, Jesus, do that? When, when do we see you naked and thirsty and hungry and sick or in prison? And, and Jesus says to them, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. See, in my name, we welcome Jesus as if, one, we're representing Jesus as we welcome the world, and two, we're treating the world the same way that we would treat Jesus. Jesus, when we change and we repent, when we take a lowly position, when we welcome others like a child, we are becoming just like Jesus and we are moving toward greatness. Greatness. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Buckle up. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, and when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he's saying, I'm about to tell you something that is extremely important, and you better buckle up and focus and not miss a thing. And he says, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You could do all kinds of great things with your life. You could preach all kinds of sermons, right? You could, you could be the nicest guy in the world. But if we don't change, lower ourselves, humble ourselves, welcome people like, we like, like Jesus does, if we don't do that, become like childlike in this innocence and purity of attitude and spirit, we will never, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We better buckle up. Father, we love you. Speak to our hearts. Teach us your way, God, and help us to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great day.